Great. Um, so just a reminder that the next SACPAW meeting will be on Thursday, January 4th um, in the new year, and the topic is Do Parks Protect Nature? More information is on the website, and also you can listen to today's presentation there. If you have any suggestions or feedback, there's a suggestion box outside, I believe, and you're welcome to throw your suggestions in there. So at this time, I would like to welcome anybody who has any questions to the microphone, and I'll let Brandy come up here, and um, if you could keep your questions brief and to one or two really, you know, poignant topics, then Brandy will do her best to answer all your questions, so... Here we go. Oh, you there's the microphone. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Brandy. That was a very good presentation, and I, I totally agree with you that social media has really changed, and technology has really changed being a philanthropist. I, oh, I'm sorry. My name is Barb Phillips. I'd just like you to comment on one way that uh, philanthropy is happening is through the GoFundMe pages that have sprung up, in particular because we are donating to uh, Streets Alive. I saw yesterday that they have a GoFundMe to raise money for an industrial size washer-dryer to complement their pin work that they do, people in need for washing all of the laundry that I'm sure they must do. So I'd just like you to comment on the rise of GoFundMe pages, if you have any stats on it. But, yeah, it's sure out there. <laughs> it really is. Thank you for the question. Um, and that is a phenomenal question. Like you said, and we've already talked about, social media and the Internet and technology has really changed how things increase. And, I mean, even um, with entrepreneurs putting things out there that you can actually use, I think it's GoFundMe you can actually use to, to kind of help entrepreneurs start little products and things too. So um, from my experience, we do have a few things through the university where you can actually click on the link and then donate towards it specifically. But I, I don't have a whole lot of experience other than knowing that it's if you, if you use the GoFundMe pages, sometimes it can be amazing in a very impactful way, but you have to market and advertise correctly. If people don't know it's there, they won't know where to look for it, and it's just going to flop. So I think that's the trickiest part about the GoFundMe pages, even though they are valuable and they're available, is to make sure that the, the marketing for it is, is going to work and, and that people know it's available. So, yeah, I think... Uh, it might be a, an avenue that might start growing in the future even more if people are aware. But Yeah, thank you. I'm Mary Shillington, and thank you, uh, Brandy, for your enthusiasm and your commitment to this projects, these projects. Uh, I have two questions. An observation uh, first. Uh, it, they talked about, you showed a slide where there was a, a team of people together, and they were... Uh, celebrating that they had donated and raised a fair amount of money. seems to me that is actually a great team-building kind of thing. Oh, thank you. Uh, and so that, that's what agencies and, and other businesses would like to do. Uh, I had a question about how the volunteer hours were collected, uh, whether nonprofits were included and whether churches were included, because mm. the... For me, I spend a lot of hours with those kind of things. And mm -hmm. what about political parties? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the amount of hours I put in for, for the political party I support. 
and so that's my one question. And second, if you have time to answer it, is crowdfunding. What's happening with crowdfunding mm -hmm. and, and how does that impact on things? Right. So crowdfunding is pretty similar to the GoFundMe pages. And so that we've kind of discussed a little bit. Uh, in terms of the volunteering, I really appreciate you asking those questions. Um, from my understanding, the information and the stats that I received are from Volunteer Lethbridge, which probably collect all the information from their volunteer um, uh, organizations that are actually members of Volunteer Lethbridge. So St. Michael's Health Center, I was there prior to, and they have a volunteer group who actually keeps track of the hours and then that's submitted to Volunteer Lethbridge. So those hours would be a compilation of all the member organizations. But that being said, I think Le Volunteer Lethbridge has just over a hundred members and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that Lethbridge in and of itself have over 400 nonprofit organizations registered. So, and, and I don't believe that would be including political parties or I don't know about churches, but it's true. Like I volunteer a lot at my church and I don't ever have any encounter. So, so to say that that number is just a quarter of what's out there, it's probably just a tip of the iceberg really. Mm -hmm. And to go along as well with your question about building teams, uh, one of the programs that Volunteer Lethbridge has is you can take, and BMO has done this, so that's how come I know about the experiences. They'll take a specific day and ask for a number of their teammates that work at BMO to take the day off, and it's with pay, but they'll go and actually paint fences or um, kind of just... Uh, an individual who can't paint it themselves, maybe they can't do it financially or health-wise, they're not able to, but they'll find individuals in the community who need help with painting, and they'll take their crew out from BMO and actually go and paint for the day, which is really neat. And they said it's just a phenomenal way to do team building. So I really appreciate that question as well. Thank you, Mary. Hey, my name is Mark Gettle. Now, one of the big incentives of uh, <clears throat> donating to charitable organizations, of course, is a tax break tax deduction. <clears throat> now, CR CRA has very strict rules regarding what can be a charity and what cannot. For instance, there's organizations such as Coalition for Gun Control or uh, Evidence for Democracy, whatever, are not charitable organizations. And recently, also, a CRA has been clamping down on organizations and deregistering some. Now, my understanding is to be a charitable organization, you cannot be an organization that benefits itself or its members. So I'm wondering also, every year CRA publishes the most charitable uh, city in the country, and mm -hmm. it's always Mountain View. Hmm. And of course, Mountain View is because it's very religious, and any donation to a church is charitable. That's but right. how can that be if it's not benefiting, benefiting its own members? So I'd just like to hmm. see if you comment a little bit on CRA's definition of a charity, mm -hmm. and how come religions that... Uh, are, are charitable organizations, whereas others might not be. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a bit of a tricky question. <laughs> you might have stumped me a little bit. But I, I guess just to t talk on Mountain View, that's a really interesting thing. I had no idea about that set, so I'd be interested to know where to find that in the future. But um, if you think about churches, I don't think that they keep the donations to themselves. Of course, it is there to support their membership, but they also oftentimes see causes and they'll donate towards, for example... Um, when I worked at St. Michael's Health Center, 
the Knights of Columbus and the Catholic organizations, they would support the fundraising events that we would hold at at St. Michael's Health Center. And so, um, and even uh, knowing Mountain View is a large LDS community, they have welfare services so that if people in need, whether or not they're members of the church, need support, then they will be more than happy to help and support in that way. So they do do a lot of outreach with with things like that. Um, In terms of the other aspect of your question with with CRA and and the different types of charities, I'm not really very, very well versed in that. So I could do a little looking into that more if you'd be interested. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Randy, I'm Douglas Mitchell. Um, I think uh, you're preaching here to the converted, as, <laughs> as far as I know. There may be some exceptions, like my friend in the back there, but... the thing that bothers me very much particularly this time of year is we we have and when you get old and you can't get out and run around and volunteer um, most of your contributions are in the form of checks or Mm -hmm. uh, internet transfers and uh, what really gets to me is the volume uh, and the number of charities that seem to get hold of your name, and I want to know how I can stop this flood that <laughs> comes into my mailbox, particularly oh. around Christmas time, because I know we're Christian, and so I think we'll contribute a little more. So that is a real concern for me and how you address that. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and the trouble with many of the charities we, we contribute to are based on heartstrings and globally. Mm-hmm. We, we contribute a lot of money globally, not locally. Uh, so I wonder if you have an answer particularly to the question of how do you stop this flood of, of stuff coming into your email unsolicited, Mm-hmm. I mean, you can write to them, it doesn't mean a damn thing. They still keep <laughs> sending it. And you mentioned the Red Cross, and the Red Cross is one of the worst offenders. <laughs> I've sent them at least two checks this year. Christmas time, I get three more. Uh, it's ridiculous. You get bombarded. So could you answer that? Give me your <laughs> thoughts on that. Well, I apologize for all the charities on their behalf, but it is true. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. And even myself, even just going through the checkouts when it seems like I can't just buy something and I'm being asked to donate, it gets a little bit aggravating sometimes because if I'm committed to a cause, then I'll naturally just donate. And I think that maybe that's the thing is if you donate to Red Cross, they know that you're committed and they want to give you an update on what's going on and then request some more funds to help with their program. Um, In terms of internet, if you're getting a lot of emails, a lot of times on the bottom in small writing, you do have the the option to unsubscribe, but I've had experience, yeah, with the uni- with the university I was looking at, not our university, but down in the States, I was looking for a course, and I hit unsubscribe, and they kept sending me stuff, and so I actually had to phone them and say, I hit unsubscribe. So it can be frustrating, and uh, I think that, unfortunately, that's kind of just the way it is now. We just get bombarded with things, and it's, it is a little bit frustrating that to the point, I don't know, as a child, if my mom kept saying, Brandy, go clean your room, Brandy, go clean your room, I wanted a clean room, but if I'm always being asked to clean my room, I don't want to clean my room. <laughs> so maybe it's the same thing with donations. I hope not, but um, 
Yeah, I, I think we just do our best and <laughs> slip it in the garbage or, <laughs> you know, write letters, but it, it really is. It really is. So, yeah, I don't have an answer. My, my name is Henry Heinenrandy, and I took note of your quote from St. Matthew, freely you are received, freely you give. Mm-hmm. Now, I married a girl from the county of Barhead, from a rather conservative, total Dutch community called Nerlandia. <coughs> and she's an only daughter, and her dad always said, son, I'm his favorite son-in-law because he only has the one. <laughs> And he says, son, remember, you can never outgive the Lord. And I thought, well, okay, that, you know, that sounds pretty good. But I, we were young. We didn't pay much attention to it. As I got older, I know that he's right. Mm. But I pick up on the former speaker's point of view as well, because what we're getting now is donor fatigue. Mm-hmm. And how do you get around that in terms of, you know, the new generation to motivate him and say, look, you know, to say thank you or to give something in return, because I find that somewhat difficult. So maybe you can talk about donor fatigue. And I now write down who I give to mm-hmm. because I get another one two months later. And I already forgotten. I wrote him a check. <laughs> and so I want to make sure that I don't duplicate it too often because there's a plethora of these things. Mm-hmm. And I have enough labels I could live to be a thousand years. <laughs> Oh dear, and uh, it's true, and maybe that's what it is at the beginning of you of the year, to just take a minute and um, choose the organizations that are near and dear to your heart, and and like you say, write them down and keep track of the areas that you want to be able to give to and support, and and budget it perhaps and say this year I'm going to give X amount of dollars to this organization, and then then it's a little bit easier to disregard. I think one of the challenges sometimes that businesses face. And oftentimes when we go and talk to businesses and ask them to support an event with sponsorship, they say, you don't know how many golf tournament requests I received this week even. And they just get bombarded because it's so so common now to have a golf tournament or an event. And so um, we encourage businesses to have a giving plan. And it's no different, I guess, perhaps from individuals if we have a plan and know what we're going to give to and how much, then it's much easier to say yes to the ones that we like and no, not this year, to the ones that don't really appeal to us. And as fundraisers, actually, that's really appreciated because sometimes we'll call people and ask if they're interested in talking to us about the university. And if they say maybe or uh, in a couple months, then that kind of tells us that you might still be interested and we'll call again. But if we just hear not at this time, we've been told no before, and it doesn't hurt our feelings, we might come back to you in a year or two to just see, but it's easy. It's okay to say no sometimes, and and when we're being bombarded, it's necessary. So, yeah. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Hi, Knut. Related to uh, charitable organizations, SACPA tried... Uh, several years ago, about maybe about 10 years ago, for, for several years to become a charitable organization. But I think uh, even though we're a nonpartisan group, I think we were seen as uh, stirring the pot a bit too much hmm. to become a charitable organization. Uh, so anyway, uh, we can't write any tax receipts for your donations today. Uh, 
to uh, some good causes. Anyway, uh, on the question of the survey, I can tell you that the number one option received 19 votes, and number two option received 19 votes. <laughs> but I haven't voted yet, so I could actually break that. <laughs> so if I wanted to be like the U.S. Vice President, oh. Oh, one more. I won't have to break the tie then. Guess what he wrote? One and two tied. <laughs> <laughs> Another vote for option one. So I, if I broke, wanted to not break that tie, I could vote uh, option two. <laughs> I think I think what we're going to do is uh, we will visit this further in the new year once uh, everybody gets old at Christmas. Uh, we will uh, go back because we don't have a big crowd today either. So I think it's uh, <laughs> may maybe do a, a survey monkey, not a monkey survey, but a survey monkey, so people can actually more people can vote on it. I think. Canood, you told me to interrupt if there was not a question for the speaker. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good job, moderator. Um, my question relates to uh, social services is slowly being taken over by charitable organizations, whether you like it or not. And especially... Uh, if we get a change in government uh, in Alberta in a few years, uh, we will be seeing a lot more uh, fundraising to to uh, keep ninety uh, percent going. Hmm. Could you com comment on uh, on the trend that we're seeing? And uh, political fundraising is also a huge uh, issue. So, do you have any thoughts on? Uh, where we might be going with that. As taxes become a bad thing, <laughs> we're going to have to rely on uh, on donations. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a direction that's, I mean, even universities and colleges, education, see that trend. Um, I, I don't really know too much about about that and how, how to kind of, you know, what the trends are, where it's going. It does seem like social services are often you know, relying more and more on charity as opposed to support from the government. Um, one of the, uh, so one of the individuals that I've quoted and talked about today, he, he kind of mentioned this about um, as a myth. He says he's not a public, it wasn't a public policy lecture that he kind of was giving, but he said that a lot of times we hear that the government needs to be taking care of people more often and working harder and stepping in and he said I've looked at the data and if if you remember some of the results that it increases success and you know happiness he says I'm here to tell you today that the day the government takes over for you in your private charity is the day that we get poorer unhappier and unhealthier it's kind of an interesting thought and I thought well if Lethbridge is so charitable and we've got such a great positive 
impact with our giving. I wonder if that's why our economy seems so stable, even when there's downturns in the market. I don't know. It was just an interesting thought that he shared, but um, I do believe that there is a place for government support as well. And it is frightening if, if we can't raise enough money, and there's so many charities out there, then we're all competing for the same dollar. How can we actually support all of the charities that are out there if the government isn't stepping in a little bit? So it is a concern. Hi, my name is Carol Sakia. I was uh, interested that you didn't include a slide about the um, the incomes of uh, CEOs of NGOs and big charities. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something that really made me rethink what I do with my <coughs> charity allotment, mm -hmm. and and uh, especially locally at this time of the year. I mean, I'm going to say I just think Sally Ann is you know, where I best spend my Christmas dollars. Mm -hmm. So nothing against what happened here today, but um, it uh, hasn't prevented me, but it's made me more conscious of where I'm giving. Mm -hmm. But I know other people that I, I'm associated with, they will use it as an excuse that the wrong people are getting the money that gets donated. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, you can always find an excuse if you don't want to donate, but I think there could be s more said about that aspect as far as dollars you know, mm -hmm. going. Yeah, very much so. Thank you. And um, that is actually one thing that I kind of assumed someone would ask me about. So if you think a little bit about um, big CEOs of companies that are not nonprofit, so if they're for profit, um, on average, I saw a slide saying that they typically make about $400,000 a year. And then if you have someone else that's a CEO of a hunger charity, they typically make about 82000 And, of course, that's not the norm because there are some that make a lot more than that. But if you think about the brains coming out of schools that have um, MBAs, for example, what, like, where do you think they would be most inclined to go probably the big businesses and so they make 400,000 a year and it's easy for them to take 100,000 and donate it to the hunger charity and they still have more they have 300,000 left in their pocket instead of working for a hunger charity that's only earning 82,000 so I would just caution you on the mindset that people running nonprofit organizations shouldn't make money um, if you look at the bake sale example here and enterprise, if you look, we kind of want to be able to see that charities are only spending 5% on administrative costs and overhead. And enterprise typically makes 40%. But if you kind of think about that in a different way, a bake sale maybe only makes $71, but an enterprise ends up making $71 million because of the overhead and the administration and the ability to do advertising and promote their cause and their business. So my question back to you would be, if you really care about that organization, what kind of support would you like them to have in order to run the best campaigns possible? And is 40% of $71 million, I mean, it looks like they're spending a lot on overhead, but look at how much more they're able to make for that organization. So interesting thought for you. 
But it is a concern. It's something that we do hear a lot about. Thank you. Sorry, we just have time for two more questions. So I think we got that. Brandy, uh, Terry Shillington here. Thank you for a lively presentation. I have both an observation and a question. The observation is that those of us who are have been raised as givers uh, and raised on an ethic of generosity have a hard time saying no. <laughs> and in the modern age of spam and... Uh, and uh, charities for everything under the sun, mm-hmm. we need to learn to not feel guilty about saying no. Uh, there's no reason in the world why I need to feel guilty because I pass through Safeway checkout and don't mm-hmm. give to whatever their latest uh, appeal is. So that's something we have to learn as givers, that uh, mm-hmm. it's okay to say no. Yeah. Uh, I have, my question is, is, probably you'll think, tangential to what you really want us to hear. But <clears throat> I was intrigued by the slide of the four robber barons, or the mm-hmm. four philanthropists. Yeah. And I wonder if uh, we have a modern generation of philanthropists and who you would put on a slide of four modern ones. I'm guessing Bill Gates might make the short yeah, list. Bill Gates is a pretty but, good one. Uh, has that gone out of style, or do we still have modern uh, philanthropists of the stature of uh, Carnegie and Rockefeller and so on? Mm-hmm. Good question. And I think, like you mentioned, we, it would be the Bill Gates of the world or uh, Warren Buffett. They would probably be right at the top there. Um, but I think that another thing to recognize is back then during the days of Carnegie and um, Mellon, the, the wealth was kind of among a smaller few. And now there's so many more wealthy people that maybe it just doesn't get as noticed as much because there are, I think last year I saw a statistic or within the last couple of years, I don't know which year it was, but recently in one year, there were 21 gifts of $100 million in the US, 21 gifts. And that's a pretty phenomenal amount. That would be nice to have come into Lethbridge and help some things here. Um, but, you know, maybe it's just that we don't hear so much about it because they're more, more frequent. I don't know. But there are definitely some robber baron type of people out there. I enjoyed your presentation very much. My name is Mike McCaig. I have a little bit of a question, but more of an observation. Mm-hmm. And the first observation is that um, every year there's a thing that goes around the Internet that says uh, the number one thing it says is that the Red Cross spends more money on, on uh, administration than any other thing. I've done some research on, on that, and that particular one that comes around every year is totally fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's what the internet is doing to us as well. It might be helping us donate more, but it's also hurting us. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if you could comment a little bit. Um, I know that when I was working and uh, raising a family and trying to pay for kids going through university and all that kind of stuff, my charitable donations were probably very limited compared to what they are today. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I'm uh, comfortable, and so I can do a lot more. And I do agree with your comment about the feeling good. It does feel good when you can go down to the streets alive and drop a check on them or something. I'm wondering if you have any idea of, uh, I know that most of the people in this room are probably pretty good donators. I wonder how the younger folks are doing these days. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Maybe some of you even have a better answer. I, I've got four children of my own and they, uh, it just seems like, uh, not every week, but very regularly they come home and say, Mom, we're doing an awareness campaign or, or raising funds for uh, the Terry Fox run or this, this individual who was in a car accident in our school or uh, we're doing 
a food drive at Halloween instead of trick-or-treat at, uh, I can't even remember now. Anyway, so they, they go around door-to-door -door instead of asking for candy, they ask for uh, stuff to donate to the food bank. So I think it's true. We, as we age and we kind of don't have so many people to, to, to rely on us for support, we can actually be a little bit more giving with our funds. But, but I do feel like the youth of today, if you see, they just are so phenomenal and I think even more connected because of the internet. They see more of what's going on and the challenges that are being faced and the natural disasters. And I think that their heart goes out a little differently and they're more of an immediate generation. So if they see something and they can text to it, they, they will. And then they're more, if they want to make an impact, they just do it right now. And it might not be quite as much, but they are actually very generous in, the don in, in that uh, generation I've, I've seen thus far. So, mm -hmm. I have oh, just a quick question, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, you talked about the Inspiring Philanthropy Day Awards, where five or six uh, local philanthropists were receiving awards. Mm -hmm. How would somebody go about nominating somebody for that? Because I know a lot of people in my life and probably yours donate to some great causes or volunteer their time. Mm -hmm. So I just want to know how, how, how somebody, anyone in our community can nominate somebody Perfect. for that. Yeah, I love it. And this is a great note to end on. So um, like I mentioned, National Philanthropy Day, and put it in your calendars, November 15th. Your, your mental note or something. But leading up to that, uh, the Association of Fundraising Professionals will put out a cry to nominate, or an invitation, to nominate philanthropic leaders in our community. doesn't matter who they are, what they do. We just want inspirational stories and leaders that we can say thank you to publicly. And so we... Um, Sometimes it's a little tricky to get all that information out to the public and notify people, but if you keep your eyes open, we try and put it in the newspaper and online and a few different ways, but anybody can nominate someone. There might be someone that you know that you would just think is, like they fit the perfect bill for this. And so you are more than welcome. We've got an application form online, uh, or you, like you can click on the link and then it will, you can print off the application package. And, um, yeah, it's pretty easy. You just fill out some information and get a support letter, and we are able to uh, add that to the packet. There's six different categories you can nominate people in, from youth philanthropist to group or individual. So it's, it's pretty phenomenal, and it's great to have more applications. So if you have someone that you'd like to nominate, we'll probably, what, I don't know, January or February, try and call for more nominations for next year. So thank you. And thanks awesome. again. Yeah, thanks, Brandy. And thanks for having us today. And have a great rest of your, your day. And happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you back here Thursday, January 4th. And if you want, oh, there, this isn't on. But there are a couple more flowers. So if you can think of someone else that you would want to give a flower to, there's, I think, four or five more up here. So come and help yourself.